everybody. Welcome to the Who's the Man podcast. We're back after a little bit of a, a hiatus. Uh, I'm here with Chris and Nathan, so welcome, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Good to be back. Good to be back. Um, yeah, today we're going to be sort of continuing in, the, in a similar vein to where we started last time. The, the, the episode before this, we talked about biblical authority. Uh, we had a series of classes here at our church um, back in the fall, talking through several topics and starting with biblical authority. Why do we trust the Bible? How can we put our, our faith in what God's Word um, says? We don't need new revelation. We don't need um, culture's voice um, interpreting how we interpret the scriptures, but it should be the other way around. And then today we're going to be talking about critical theory, critical race theory, critical social theory, um, neo-Marxism. There's a lot of different terms. Yeah. Progressive Christianity, secular progressivism, <laughs> or woke, depending on your preference. Right. Yeah. When was the last time you used woke in a conversation? <laughs> or avoided it at all. Right, yes, or that's even better. Yes. Right. Um, so it's a lot. It's a, big, it's a big topic to cover, and we're going to sort of structure this episode similarly to how we structured it last time. Um, I did a little bit more kind of mediating, and just you guys both have a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight, and I think it's beneficial for all Christians, but specifically men, to be able to wrestle with and walk through some of these conversations that are absolutely dominating our culture right now. So looking forward to having your insight, your input, and kind of working through this together. Yeah, and I really appreciate Nathan kind of teaching this class last fall, plus just making the content available and really accessible. Right? And Because there's so many different things out there. I mean, it, you can go down a rabbit hole so quick on this stuff and not know what you should read, what it even means, what definition, what what are these words even, what are the definitions of these words and everything. And I just really appreciate how Nathan makes it accessible to people who've been talking about this for a while, but also people who are new to the conversation and just like, oh man, this is hitting my family, this is hitting my kid's school, this is at work, it's all around me and I need to pull my head out of the sand and actually engage in this conversation, but where do I start? And so I really appreciate your making that accessible um, for people, um, Nathan. Well, thanks. I can't take much credit for that. So there's there's a lot of good resources, and we'll talk about some of them. Um, when I opened up the, the class in the fall, I talked about Neil Shenvey and just um, Kathy and I talk about this concept a lot, Kathy and my wife, um, about um, people in the faith who are, like, pulling the rope on the same side. Like, you're in this tug of war, and, you know, you're glad that there are other people that pick up the rope and pull it. And mm. Neil Shenvey is sort of one of those characters who... Um, has done a ton of thoughtful research around this topic, um, sort of stumbled into it, met somebody else that was researching critical theory, and he was like, describe this to me. And the guy started describing, he's like, I think that's happening in my church. And he's like, I don't think that's happening in the church. He's like, yeah, I think it is. And so he started digging into it. He, he by, by trade, he's like a, uh, a chemical engineer, like he's or a chemist, like he is uh, you know, a pretty bright mind who's at Berkeley, and then he starts studying critical theory, and now he's one of the leading experts in the Christian community around it. So he's done a great job with, with those. We'll reference some of the things that he has put together. I think he does a great job, too, just having a very measured, thoughtful, um, really aligned with, with Paul's advice to Timothy about how to correct false teaching, but to do it with gentleness and to do it by instructing. And so I, I rely heavily on his content. Yeah, his uh, self-ascribed title is... A homeschooling theoretical chemist. <laughs> oh, one of those. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's like he's a one of one kind of person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think one of the things, just even from a foundational piece, is that 
you know, critical theory is a worldview. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not just an idea that is taught at a university or whatever, but it actually is a worldview. So like, can you say what that means? Like we talk about, we want to have a biblical worldview, but now that we're, now you're saying, well, this, this is a, this is a worldview also. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. So I think, you know, you can't have multiple worldviews, right? You can mix them and create a tertiary worldview, but you're either pursuing a biblical one, which is dying to yourself and having your mind transformed by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God to do that in you. And, and we should be in that pursuit of having our minds transformed by the Word. Um, but then there's the worldview that's informed by uh, critical theory, which is the term that I'll use. You'll hear cultural Marxism, neo-Marxism, progressive uh, Christianity, secular progressivism. Um, I think woke is the term that gets thrown about, and that, that's usually the divisive term, right? Like, um, if I'm going to insult you as somebody that is, right. is, 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 is with the critical theory mindset, then I'll call you woke. I wouldn't recommend that we use that term. So I'll use critical theory, and I think defining it in their terms is also important. So um, there's not a singular uh, author of critical theory. There are, it's been a school of thought. If you go back to the Frankfurt School, if you go back to uh, really, you know, go back to the work of Karl Marx, um, and there's a lot of influence of modern writers, right? We have Robin DiAngelo and others. Um, so it's a, it's a progressive building on ideas, and there are really six core um, premises that I think it's really important to understand to walk through those things so that we can define it. Ultimately, I would say that, that it, is, it is this idea that, they're, that people are in groups of either you're either an oppressor and in the, in the dominant group or you are in a subordinate group or you're being oppressed. And that, that can be defined along different lines. So whether that's your race, your class, your gender, your sexuality, um, we can come up with more categories, which, which is continuing to progress. The idea is that there is a divide in humanity and that divide is based off of oppressor and oppressed and that's how we would split it up i think that the word of god would define it differently that we would be righteous and unrighteous right that would be children of wrath or children of god um and so we we would draw that line there i think that's the real big definition or the big split here in this worldview is that that definition you're oppressed or you're oppressor or are you a child of god or not hmm. and so who defines those yeah that's <laughs> That, that, that's where it gets complicated. So it, it, it may be helpful to sort of run down through the, um, you know, the, the premises to, to define them for us quickly. So the first one is what we just said, right? It's oppressor, oppressor. Um, and then, um, you know, we, you break it down along those lines. So you'll, you'll have the, um, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's age, right? So those are the different criteria. And really, it's whoever is in power over another group defines that. And can I just say yeah. real quick, terms that you'll hear, you probably know a lot of them, but just so just so we're aware of the full scope of this topic and this this worldview, you'll hear terms uh, cisgender, patriarchy, white privilege, white supremacy, social du- social justice, heteronormativity, ageism, ableism. Um, all of these things, internalized oppression, we'll talk about that later, toxic masculinity. So if you're in com- or around conversations, um, classism, hegemonic power, there's so many. 
if you're in or around conversations, like these are some of the terms that you've heard that probably either cause you to get angry or just to shut them off. So just, um, sorry to interrupt, but that's no, just that, kind of... Yeah. Isms. Isms. Right. Are what right. We're yes. right? right. You yeah. hear isms, you should go, hmm, that gives you pause, right? So we're, we're in these two groups, right? Oppressor, oppressor. But the, uh, the second premise is that the oppressor group will subjugate the, um, the other group through hegemonic power. So hegemonic is a fancy school word uh, that just means there's, there's this group influence that happens. Now, um, we acknowledge that hegemonic power I- exists, right? Those dynamics exist. Um, it's sort of like social pressure, right? What makes you conform? Um, the, the, the difference that I would have with critical theory is not, I don't think all hegemonic power is bad, hmm. right? Um, there's, there's good hegemonic power, and actually the, those who subscribe to critical theory would actually use hegemonic power to influence change, um, but they're talking here about the oppressed using hegemonic power. So um, the Bible is one big book of hegemonic influence, <laughs> right? It is filled with this, hey, do, you know, this is your old self, take this off, put on the new self, you know, leave that behind, deny yourself and follow Christ pick up your cross and follow me. There's all of this call in the Bible to conform to a new image. And so that, that that's the idea here is this hegemonic power. Um, the way that they would criticize it is that, well, um, you know, in culture, uh, the group with money or the group with power, or the group with age will, you know, set a certain standard. So you get a job here, you've got to look like us, you've got to talk like us, you can't have tattoos, you can't have earrings, you can't have, right? And some of their arguments are are well-placed and some of the arguments are not well-placed, right? But it's this idea that we need to attack this hegemonic power that, that exists. Um, the, the, the next premise is that liberation is a moral duty. So you have to liberate or dismantle this oppression and that is the moral call of the individual. Um, and then beyond that, so, the, so premise four, this is the, the question that Chris asked earlier. Who gets to define uh, what is true or what is oppression or, or which group is being oppressed? Well, lived experience in, in critical theory is valued over objective evidence. So I get to define through my lived experience the level of oppression that I feel, right? We see this play out in some of our conversations where we use this tactic a lot. Well, this is how what you did made me feel. And so that has the most weight in this situation. Regardless of what you did, we don't need to decide whether or not that was right or wrong. We need to react to how I feel about what you did. And so that, that gets elevated above uh, everything else. My experience trumps all. My experience is, is the definition of truth. Um, the, the, the next one is this, uh, this guise of objectivity. And so they would say, well, if you were to claim to be objective, Josiah, like, you know, I'm objective, I'm just looking at the facts. They say, of course you would say that. You're cisgendered white male who is a male person of privilege. You're going to claim that your objectivity is what, what is your authority. And so that's a sort of a circular argument that would deny that concept. And then the last one is the the idea of intersectionality, which is, okay, if we have multiple groups and those groups can have different levels of oppression, how do we divvy up and decide whose oppression takes precedence over another? So the idea of intersectionality is, okay, well, I'm, I'm a female, that's an oppression group. Well, 
but a, a single female working mother, that's uh, more oppressed. But I could say I'm a minority single female working mother, or I'm a victim of whatever as a single female worker. You can stack together these things, and and the ultimate pinnacle is you know the highest level of intersectionality to be able to define the oppression. That's a lot. There's your definitions, right? That's it, right? And so the idea is like, hey, we need to have social justice. You'll hear that over and over again, and we need to dismantle this thing. So it's the attack on deconstruction and dismantling these institutions uh, or these systemic things that are causing this oppression. And one of the dangers here is that this worldview is mixing with a lot of people's biblical worldviews. This is starting to infiltrate the church Chris, you have a lot of contacts just in and throughout various churches. Have you seen this, um, either in this area or another, have you seen this starting to make its way in, in kind of in or around your circles? Well, it's interesting. I mean, even the, the trib earlier, is either earlier this week or late last week, say they just did a piece on the, the United Methodist churches that are not disaffiliating and kind of the way the language that was being used by the pastors and then like yesterday there was a an opinion piece by the youth pastor at the Monroeville Methodist Church and like and what she's hearing from her students and like it's just amazing how like this stuff just gets it has become it's been woven into the conversation so much they don't even realize that what they're saying is moving further and further away from the historic biblical worldview into this critical worldview and how much it is influencing their decisions, influencing what their that their actions or, or inactions. And you know it's and so if 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 you don't allow them to blur the lines, then you know it goes, you know, it's like, hey, well of course you're not gonna do that because you are a white male of privilege at this church and you know all that kind of stuff and it just kind of instead of entering into a conversation it just they won't do it because it's just like we're not gonna like you're gonna oppress me like you know i'm the i've yes. been oppressed right yeah. and if we have a conversation you're gonna you know bring your stuff down on me and so we're just we can't even really have a conversation anymore and these are supposed to be brothers and sisters in in Christ, that's like, hey, can we talk about this? And it's like, we, we really can't anymore. Yeah, and I think, so you ask, do you see it in the church, right? We, we've been going through a process with the United Methodist Church, and we see it actually at the highest level in the UMC. So this summer, the Supreme Court made a ruling on, on Roe v. Wade, um, and with that being overturned, so this is, this is from Bishop Bickerton, who is the president of the the Council of Bishops. Uh, I'm going to read a quote from him. This is the the statement that he released on behalf of uh, the UMC in response to the Roe v. Wade decision. He says this, and I quote, The decision by the Supreme Court of the United States to overturn Roe v. Wade represents one of those complex issues and difficult days. The issuance of this ruling has denied the sacred worth of women who face, quote, the tragic conflicts of life and life that may justify abortion, end quote. He goes on to say, this historic decision serves to create a further divide between persons of privilege who have the means to seek necessary health care and those who lack this privilege due to their current economic condition. 
their disproportionality affected lives, and the color of their skin. As our Commission on the Statutes and Role of Women has stated, this decision creates gender, racial, and economic injustice for all Americans. It draws deeper lines between those who have means and those who do not. It creates geographical disparity that erases equal access and opportunity to health care. End quote. That's the statement. So what, what creates great concern in me is it's not that they're, this statement is dabbling in or taking ideas and saying, okay, there's some redeemable ideas inside of critical theory, right? I, we want to reject oppression. We want to reject racial injustice. Right? We want to d dismantle that wherever it exists. Uh, it's not taking those ideas and, and saying, well, the gospel supports those concepts. It's completely abandoning any scripture. There's no influence of scripture at all in that statement that I, that I can find, and I tried to, to find it. It is completely saturated by a, a worldview that's influenced by critical theory. And that's become you know, common practice at the highest levels on the most pressing issues facing uh, the culture today. And so like he uses the phrase sacred worth, right? So that's kind of like a, so when we, when I think about sacred worth, I think everyone's been made in the image of God. Mm. And so you have, you have immeasurable worth in God's eyes. And therefore, as, as disciples of Jesus, we, we need to look at each other and treat each other with that, with that same level of care yeah. and honoring and loving and, you know, accountability, but now they've taken something that I would say is get it birthed out of the church with sacred worth and said, okay, well, we're going to work your, your Imago Dei is that we're, that's not even on the table anymore. It's, it's something else com completely. And we're going to redefine sacred mm -hmm. worth and where somebody finds our secret, sacred worth and our, the importance of us protecting a person's sacred worth isn't because they're a child of God, but we're made in the image of God, but because they just, they're like, they just kind of defined it out of their, what is it, your, you say their experience, their personal experience. Lived what was experience. that? What was it? Lived experience. Lived, yes. lived experience, right? Yeah. That's right. what's going to be like, now they're sacred worth because of your lived experience. Well, and I think that's part of the flaw of any false gospel is that it takes Jesus and adds to him. So mm -hmm. it's, today it's Jesus plus my identity. It's they might they might try to keep some pieces or elements that are either maybe a little bit off but could be redeemed or like you were saying Chris elements of truth that says okay everyone was made in the image of God but they take that and they apply it to anything that I feel is exactly how God made me and wants me rather than what Scripture says which is to die to yourself to deny yourself to take up your cross and follow Him and so I think that's any false gospel, prosperity gospel, health and wealth, name it and claim it, mm -hmm. um, the new sort of meta, like manifestation <laughs> gospel that's going around mm -hmm. where I'll see, I see Christians who are engaging in that realm of manifest this and it will be, mm -hmm. speak this into existence. And so we have all these different things. And I think one of the things that Nathan, you do really well and that we've tried to do well in these conversations comes from Second Timothy 2. Hmm. where we talk about correcting with gentleness. And there's a lot of, some of the things, like even the quote that you read, as you were reading through it, I can feel myself, I can feel the heat kind of rising. Like I can feel myself getting angry. Um, Chris, I know, like, we, we've had conversations, and I know for you, it's like it's easy to, it's easy to get angry. 
And I think for a lot of men listening right now, the the there's a there's a righteous anger I think to the corruption of the gospel, but there's a there's an encouragement in from Second Timothy two. Um, I'll just read verses twenty four to twenty six. It says, "And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth." And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so that's been, that's been a, a cornerstone verse as we sort of navigate some of these conversations. And it's something that I try to bring myself back to a lot, which is to say, especially within the church, especially as we see this. Um, and I want to talk about those kind of, Nathan, you sort of have five different, five things that, that critical theory does to infiltrate and to sort of mar... Um, the gospel by things that it redefines, um, but just something to, to be aware of, something to come back to as you as you start to engage with some of this content. Maybe you never have is to be reminded of, of Second Timothy. So, um, what are some of these things? What is what does critical theory sort of redefine? You said it at the very beginning. You can you can't have multiple worldviews. All you can do is you can you can mix and match, and that's very much what's happening here. Is people are trying to have the gospel plus these yeah. other things. So, what are the, some of the things that they're Kind of redefining. Yeah. So fundamentally, anytime you you said it, anytime you add anything to the gospel, it's not the gospel, right? So we've we've got to keep it uh, a, a tight definition of the gospel and on consistent biblical truth. Um, so CRT seeks to, or critical theory seeks to redefine the gospel, and so um, they would say that you know the biggest problem is the the power divide or the power gap between humanity. Uh, there are some with power and some without, and there's that oppression happening. Um, Scripture is very clear on this, that our, that our biggest problem is sin, and that we deserve the wrath of a righteous God because of our sin, and that's separated us from him. Um, and so for, for that to be reconciled is, is, is what we see as the biggest problem. So fundamentally, we don't agree on what the problem is, right? So that's, that's, and so fundamentally, the gospel's been redefined, by, by that change. And so I think it's, it's really important for us to be very clear on that. So that's the first. It redefines the gospel. Um, and then it also sort of re- redefines how um, we are redeemed and ransomed. So, so Christ came, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, right? Died in our place, is resurrected, has paid for our sin, has overcome uh, sin and death on our behalf. He imparts to us a righteousness that we can't attain on our own. Um, so th- that's how we would see uh, redemption, you know, taking place. Critical theory would say, well, no, it's it's speaking truth to power. That is is mm-hmm. is the, the point, and it's, and it's also like doing that. You'll hear this doing the hard work of recognizing your own oppression, your own, um, you know. And we, again, we should be self-examining. Like there's there's slivers of this that are like close enough to the truth. That it, we should be self-examining as Christians. We should be quick to repentance, quick to apologize, quick to forgive. Um, but we 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 don't recognize recognizing our oppression is not salvific. Confessing our sin to the God of the universe and receiving the grace that He's given us through faith is is how our sin is paid for and covered. So I think that's a, a critical uh, distinction for us. And it's interesting, though. You know. You'll hear people say, you know, you want to be on the right side of history on this one, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's so earth bound instead of eternity bound, 
right? Like you're gonna be judged for this. The people are gonna look back on you in 20 years or 30 years or whatever, and, and you want to be on the right side of history on this. And so, it's it's seeing that you know we're gonna be making decisions, or you, the premise says you should be making decisions based on making sure that you don't look bad with other broken people. Yeah, I think what what's fascinating about that statement though is like. I can make a pretty good argument outside of the Bible that the right side of history is not very favorable to critical theory, right? Like the influences you go to, okay, let's look at look at Russia's history, look at what happened with Marx. We can look at what happened stemming from the Frankfurt School and the influence in Germany. You can look at what happened happening to 60 million babies and counting we've aborted, mm-hmm. um, rooting from this worldview, right? And so I think on the right side of history, we're going to be judged pretty harshly if you look back on it objectively but you know we're, for this conversation we're setting that aside right we're talking about the, the on the grounds alone of, of god's word it it's something that we should be rejecting yeah and another problem with that a question that you've posed in in our bible study that is good to think about as well is chris to your point people have a very earthbound perspective that we're so we're so concerned with ourselves um but the question like that you've asked in in bible study nathan is like okay do you remember your grandparents probably do you remember your great-grandparents maybe what do you know about your great-great-grandparents nothing nothing (laughs) and so we are so concerned with self and yet a couple generations and you're forgotten you're so this this sort of individual my identity is the most important thing is the pinnacle of the, is the pinnacle of existence and for other people to try and guilt you into subscribing to a certain worldview or theology or framework is really fleeting mm-hmm. Does, doesn't last long yeah right. but the impact of the impact of the generations is what does last and so this sort of counter this sort of counterbalance between the individual and the group like you said earlier this idea of hegemonic power that's not a bad thing and i might be forgotten in a couple of generations but if i can raise a family that is submitted to the authority of god's word and if i can raise children who are submitted to that authority who raise their own children who raise their children even if my name is forgotten in three generations the legacy of that has impact on the world around it yeah and i think you so you you talked about like sort of that that influence so the things that are getting rejected in our culture like patriarchy is is now this um like it's a it's a swear word right like it's a, it's a negative such a negative connotation with it or the idea of headship or like we think about these things or submission and we're like oh oh that like critical theory would say get those words out of the the, the lexicon of of our culture like we should not be using that those, those terms and where that exists we should be calling it out and rejecting it but there those aren't bad things in and of themselves right if you have a righteous person who's in authority which we do his name is jesus he sits on the throne then it's great to have him as a king right you want jesus as lord you want to submit to his headship and so we should have uh inside of the church right we're, we're called to have hierarchies of leadership, right? You see this established throughout scripture, um, but we should be looking for righteousness in those leaders, right? And they should be using that influence um, so that the generations might, you know, one, fight off 
the attack of the enemy, right? It's sort of like Nehemiah and his men, right? <laughs> uh, you've, you've got the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other, and you're rebuilding the wall because the enemy could come, and you've got the sword there to defend if you need to. And so we've got to be using that influence that we have as men to build that wall, protect it, defend against the enemy. And right now, the, the enemy is this worldview seeping into our culture. And it's completely, you know, it's penetrated our school system. It's penetrated, especially higher uh, academics. And, and we see it in the seminaries now, too. So, like, we've got to be on guard for that influence and, and be able to speak to it. And don't come at and say that, you know, a trial one hand, sword in the other is, is toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. right? So that's, you know, you're, you're being an oppressor again, you're bringing violence to the table, and, and, like, and, so, it's, and, and so men are confused. They're like, what, I, I think I'm supposed to, I, I feel like there's something that God has sovereignly put in me to, to hold a trial and a sword in one way or another to protect my family, to provide for my family, and yet everything around me is telling me that that's wrong and I'm wrong and I shouldn't have those feelings. And like, so, you know, the men who listen to this, like, how do we help them to be like, no, like to encourage them and say that it is good to have a trial on one hand and a sword in another hand. I mean, whenever I, I do premarital counseling and I, you know, I always look the man in the eye. I'm like, look, you're the husband and, and God wants you to lead your family and to step into that. And I'm, I'm always like, okay, how are they going to respond to this? Because they're generally in their late twenties, early thirties, and like they've been fed a whole bunch of stuff. Like I just, I'm like, I'm ready to have the conversation, and if they're ready to just be like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, you know? Because I think that day is coming where that's just like, no, I don't, I don't want that. She doesn't want that for me, and you know. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the assault, what it looks like, and I think this is, um, like, this is the deception of of Satan is like. I made the statement, it comes across a little harsh sometimes, but we, we, we have a child, we look forward 18 years, we're gonna send him off to college, we set up our 529 plan, we start saving for that date, and we work and we toil and we take him to you know this club, this team, this thing, make sure they have all the activities, all the prerequisites, we send them off to college where they go someplace and they get an education and they come back at Christmas time telling us that we're oppressors and, uh, and they're no longer celebrating Christmas and we've worked in toil and sacrifice to fund that, right? Like, that's a really critical view of that, but that's actually what's happened in a lot of cases, mm. right? A lot of cases, that's what's happened for us. And so what do we do as fathers differently? I think we've got to prioritize things differently. Yes, you should work. Yes, you should save. Yes, you should get your child educated. I'm not advocating not doing that. But when we send our kid out into the world, we need to equip them with a biblical worldview. They've got to know the Word of God inside and out. When you say, well, what if you don't know it? then you've got to start learning it, right? You are completely capable. God has given you a good sound mind. Um, you can memorize fantasy football stats. You can do all kinds of things on, you know, guys will work with their hands. That You know, they can tear apart a transmission and put it back together with their eyes closed. You, you can understand the, the core structure of the Bible. You can start studying the Word of God. Uh, you, can, you can understand what God is doing throughout history, and you can start equipping yourself to equip your, your next generation and, not, and be willing to have that conversation. That's the trial, right? Building up that wall is building up your child in the faith. And as they are maturing, being able to have conversations that are relevant and, and preparing them for what they're going to engage in in the world so that you send them out, uh, not to be blown about, 
by any philosophy in the world, but to be anchored to the rock of ages, to be able to withstand those things and identify, wait, that, that's, that's counter to the gospel. I'm, I'm not going to subscribe to that. Yeah, and I think th- there's an encouragement. I-, I would say not only are you capable of it, but it's your responsibility. And there's a there's this idea that floats around too that that I think a lot of parents might have initially with um, schooling and education is this idea that my child is going to go and be a missionary uh, on the field. And there's a quote from. From Vadi uh, Balcom, and he was talking about that. And one of the the points that he made that I think was was good and relevant and good to think about is missionaries are trained and then sent. Mm-hmm. They're not sent to get slaughtered, and that's what's happening. Is we have people who are not educated in the Word of God, who culturally might raise their children to to be Christians, and then they say, "Well, my kid's going to go be a missionary in the school." And it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the disciples were with Jesus for three years, right? Told Peter, I'm going to build, on this rock I'll build my church, but that wasn't day one. Right? right? That was... Peter wasn't built there. in a day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> As the old saying goes, I think. Yeah, he didn't start with, come die with me. He said, come follow me. Yeah. you got to yeah. start somewhere. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the following and walking alongside, like... The, Walking alongside of your your kids and learning this, if you're if you're behind the eight ball, and you think, man, I haven't started. We'll start and just bring them on the journey with you and be transparent about what you don't know and what you're learning together. Um, that that is a far greater testimony to your children than to feign like you have it together on Sunday in front of us, so that we think you're a okay, mm-hmm. and then to ignore it the rest of the week in front of your family, like that. What that creates is a child who deconstructs their parents' faith, which which they're deconstructing uh, hypocrisy, right? They're not deconstructing the faith; they're mm. they're rejecting the the hypocrisy that they saw in you. So, just living into it and learning together, like let's open the Word and study it. We're going to study. Find a good commentary, find a pastor that you like listening to. Uh, you get it on a Bible reading plan. Start working through it as a family. That's why we always encourage anybody listening to this podcast. Like if you don't have that, reach out. Um, we always encourage you to find find guys around you that will. There are. I think it's very discouraging. I know as a young guy, when I first came here, it was very discouraging at first, and it felt like there was nobody. Um, but there are men around you who you can you can surround who can surround you um, as you pursue this together. Um, and reach out, reach out to us. If there's if you can't find anybody else, the, I think it's important. For men to, I think we sometimes admit weakness in the wrong areas, mm. um, and this is one of those tough things. I know that there are a lot of um, men and, and fathers out there who feel ill-equipped, and that's a hard thing to admit. Um, so, so reach out. So, um, critical theory—it sort of infiltrates the church. It, it mars the gospel. It tries to redefine the gospel. It tries mm-hmm. to redefine truth, what truth is, and, and the pursuit of truth. It redefines the moral life. Yeah. Um, redefines our identity and then it in it invites its its devotees to participate in in sinful practices so these are all things that are happening within the church probably within some of your circles is there anything else that you'd like to add to that aspect of the conversation 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you, you hit on the big ones. I think, you know, re- redefining truth in its pursuit and then this invitation into sin. Like, what do we mean by that? Well, um, it, if, if my lived experience defines the truth and not the person of Jesus Christ and, and his word, then, then I can, you know, make myself Lord. I make myself the ultimate authority. I start defining things my way. And then I see the world through this lens of how I've been oppressed, right? And then the pursuit that I have is to tear down or deconstruct anything that I see as, as oppressing me, as that's the ultimate moral um, success that, that I can pursue. Um, that leads to just more and more um, brokenness and sadness. Like, uh, I think, you know, we, we studied Ecclesiastes together, and there's just the sentiment in there about, like, you know, I, I started to address it when he starts to address oppression and when he starts to abandon the people that have been taken advantage of. And then all he does is uncover more oppression. Right. When you start digging into the darkness in the world, you'll find more problems. Right. You talk to anybody that actually like, you know, they're really, you know, in a homeless ministry or in a rehab ministry or they, they, they counsel broken marriages. They're like, man, you their days get dark, right? They they uncover all kinds of burden. And so um, I, I think the more you, you dig, the more you're going to find, man, we need something else to solve this. There's got to be something greater than me to step in and solve it. So uh, I, my prayer for a lot of the pe- people that are caught in this philosophy is they'll wear themselves out, right? They'll come to the end of, all right, you know, my truth and my pursuit and my work to end this injustice that I see is not working right it's not successful we need a we need a greater solution we need we need somebody who can actually come back and solve this we need a christ we need the lord to come and and actually make things right and i think that's the i know that i i'm coming from a, from a biblical worldview perspective of like when i read all this stuff and hear all this stuff i'm like i don't think you're actually solving anything you're 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 band-aiding it, you're just calling it out, you're mad about it, you're, you know, flexing your, your muscles or whatever, but at the end of the day, have you really solved anything? I mean, you may have moved some pieces around on the chessboard or whatever, but I don't really see anything actually getting better from, you know, from the macro level or the micro level. I mean, are our families getting better because of this? Or, or is your, you know, is your life as a, just as a human being better because of this? Is our country better? This is our world better because of this? And I don't see any evidence that that's true. Whereas, as you said, Nathan, just like Jesus does bring a solution. He is the solution and ultimately makes all things right and brings peace uh, to the world and brings peace to but in our relationship between us and him and us and each other and us and, and the world. And so like, that's, that's the solution that I think everybody ultimately longs for is pursuing. And I think the people who are in, you know, with critical theory that they think they're pursuing that solution, but it's almost like it's just, it's running parallel, but it never merges over to being an actual solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a reason that anxiety, depression, suicide rates are not decreasing Mm. in a world that is continually trying to be more affirming, more accepting of 
anything and everything because we've made self-identity the most important thing, if that was the solution, those things would go down. Right. And they're not. Yeah. And I think, you know, joining a group uh, is not something that's going to, 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 to make whatever's wrong in your life right. Unless that group happens to be the kingdom of God. Right? That's a, that's a perception that we have now. It's like, oh, if I, you know, we see this a lot with teenagers, right? They're, they're in this stage of like just trying to figure out life and what's their identity and where do they fit in. And there's all these invitations like, you know, when, when, when Chris and I were kids, you just hang out with certain clothes on in the food court at the mall. That's, that's sort of how we divide it up. Uh, they're doing it differently today. But like now it's, you know, it's your sexual identity. It's your gender identity. It's, it's this is the most important thing about you. And if you just join this group, well, then you'll be accepted. Then you'll be celebrated. Um, but the problem is that that's a very short term uh, oh, you might feel good for a week, you might feel good for a month, you might feel good for a while, but you still have problems where you know inside your soul there's something else wrong, right? And, and, and while this group has accepted me for a short period of time, that quick hit of dopamine or, or, or acceptance is not enough to sustain me. And so I think this idea of joining a group is, is just very short-sighted, right? And you're just going to need to find another one, find another one, find another one until you wear yourself out on that cycle. There's one group to join, Kingdom of God. Yeah. And people are so alone now, so isolated, that when they hear join a group, any group, they think that's the solution again, right? Like that's the goal. Like if I can just join a group, then everything's going to be fine. And it, it isn't. Right. You'll find sinful, broken people there too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And again, it seems, it seems counterintuitive because we're, also, we're the most connected that we've ever been. You can get on your phone and you have access to the entire world. But oddly enough, having that kind of access and that kind of connection is actually not beneficial. And so when we say things like this, I, I think for a lot of people too, there's, uh, I believe we talked about this a little bit on the previous episode, but the more that the world pursues this, this mindset, this framework, this worldview, the more polarizing it becomes. And so I think that there are a lot of people who are falling into this trap, but there are also a lot of people who are waking up. They're becoming woke in a, in a good sense yeah. because they're realizing... They're, yeah, they're becoming awakened and they're saying, hey, this isn't working. This isn't, this isn't fulfilling. This isn't satisfying. And so there's, there's also an increase of people or um, even just if you're on social media, different accounts mm. that are dedicated to, hey... Reject the world, embrace tradition, embrace orthodoxy, get married, start a family. These things are becoming increasingly so. There's as as the polarization happens, there are people who are awakening, yeah. Um, but there's still a lot of confusion. There's still a lot of loneliness. There's still a lot of hurt. God always has a remnant, right? He's always got a remnant, and uh, the church has been under assault for for a long time, right? We've had two thousand years of. Um, oppression looked different uh, towards the church. I mean, you, we're not in first and second century Rome, um, but you know, it is getting to the place where, like, hey, this could cost you your job. Hey, this could cost you a friendship. It could cost you a relationship. And so, you know, my, my burden if for somebody who's actually still listening to this, if they made it this far in the podcast. <laughs> Way to go! I think there's, I think there's two groups there. That that there's the one who hears these terms and just recognizes them as like. Oh, 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 that's a conversation I need to stay out of, right? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a topic I don't want to avoid. I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to get into 
this identity stuff. I, like that's not for me. I just want to avoid it completely. Um, if that's you, I would just encourage you to say that like this worldview has a trajectory towards deconversion. It has a trajectory towards rejecting the gospel and it could devour somebody that you love. And so I would encourage you to lean in, to educate yourself on it, right? I mentioned Neil Shenvey, you know, look up some of his, his materials on his, on his website. He's got great write-ups on it. He's, got, he's been on tons of podcasts. Educate yourself so that you're equipped to have the conversation. And then um, as you have the conversation, you don't need to necessarily prepare yourself to be in a podcast or be in a position to teach a class on this. That's not what we're asking you to. But being able to have a conversation inside of your home, inside of your small group, with somebody you love with your child, right? As they're you know being influenced by certain things, like the questions on their heart, right? As you're going by the way, right? As you're in the car going to practice, as you you know, there's that one time when they ask a question and they open up and they go, Dad, my teacher said this, or Dad, you know the you know what do you think about whatever. It's being prepared for that conversation, right? And and it's also creating an environment where you know you you can talk about these things within your family. And you know, as for you and your house, you know where you stand, right? You're very clear on on where you stand, and you've you've called out the false teaching, you've identified it for what it is, and you've you've made it very clear to everyone in your care. That they can identify and reject it, and they can they can embrace the truth of the gospel. Yeah, that generational influence can go one of two ways, and I think one of the dangers of avoiding these conversations is you don't create a space where your friends, or even more importantly, I'd say your children, feel like they can ask questions because either it's off the table and they know that and so they'll get their answers elsewhere because they'll get their answer. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's hard for us to wrestle with is it, the reality is <laughs> there are people who are saying, I have the answer. And I think too often the church is not one of those voices. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reluctance. There's a lot of hesitation. And so, like you said earlier, that's not, that's not us saying, you know, fake it and <laughs> yeah. come up with any answer but to be willing to be to have a vulnerable conversation if you don't know something to do the you know to do your due diligence of researching and figuring out what an answer is and then coming back to the conversation yeah that's an invitation back to dinner again hey let's grab pizza again lay let's want you come over you know or hey i listened to this podcast you should check it out right let's talk about it after you listen to it like those simple things and if if you're the person who's engaged in this because you're like, man, I love this stuff. I want to debate it, right? I would just encourage you. You brought up Timothy, right? Mm -hmm. The scriptures are sufficient. So we, we have the sufficient uh, truth in the scriptures to be able to address any of any this topic and any other topic. And I would encourage um, you if you're like, man, I love these debates. I get on Facebook and I just like, do you love the debate or do you love the person? And so are, what's your intent in the, those conversations? And I'm not saying not to debate, but I'm saying to do it in a way that you would see who you, your opposition, right? You would see them as somebody who might be won over, uh, that God might decide to intervene in their life in a way that he calls them and uses them uh, and they repent of a, of a false teaching and return to the truth of the gospel. Because 
that's the story of the Bible, right? Most of the characters that we see would not pass the background test to get hired in this church, <laughs> right? Right. And so that's who we're after. So when we engage, we want to engage to see God work in a way that, that they would be have their lives transformed. And that's why I love the the quote from Second Timothy because there's there, there's two parts to the to the graciousness of that passage. So there's the grace that we extend towards people, like the gentleness part, yeah. right? And the, the humility part of it. But there's also, as you said, like this, this graciousness of God. You know, maybe, God may perhaps grant them repentance, mm-hmm. right? You're not convincing them of anything, right? God is the one who changes hearts. He's the one who transforms minds. And so like in those conversations, don't put on like, hey, I'm, it's my job to convince these people of anything. Right. I'm just supposed to speak the truth in love and allow the gracious hand of God to work in their heart and in their mind. And who knows? God might be gracious and see them change and repent and, and come to faith. Yeah, It's a different way of living. And, I, and it's always very tempting to engage with the world as the world. And it's, in temp- mm-hmm. it's a temptation to enter into the fight in the same manner, using the same tactics, but I think that's the first part of that passage from, from 2 Timothy. Um, a Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everybody. I love, I love this little three-word, able to teach. And that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Be able, be equipped. And if you're not equipped, get equipped and realize that there's process involved. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but able to teach and then to patiently endure evil. Um, Nathan, we were talking about... Um, one of one of Matt Chandler's recent sermons, where he quotes from the epistle to um, Dionysus. Dionysus, yeah. Um, and that's such a great passage of the early Christians and how they were living in a way that was so countercultural. Yeah. They weren't using the they weren't employing the tactics of their of their adversaries to to quote unquote beat them. Yeah. So it's a letter from one Roman to another in you know second century. AD trying to explain what's happening with these Christians like they're they're being oppressed we're still slaughtering them yet the church is growing what is going on with these people and the way that like the, he's describing them like from a secular perspective it it, it 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 reflects the early you know letters in the New Testament where they're like you know they share their tables but they don't share their beds they don't kill their children they actually you know they protect their their female children they don't throw them away like like the rest of culture they um th- their citizenship it's like their identity is not in this world it's like they belong to their heaven and they're willing to endure anything that we throw at them because so you're like man i've heard that before right like he's observing the behavior and you think about are you living in a way that proclaims that that's a reflection of like, why was the church exploding in that period? Well, because they were living in a way that proclaimed what we read in, in the letters to the churches in, in the New Testament. That's good. So as we sort of close out this conversation, there's been a lot that we've talked through. Um, it's all really good. Listen to the episode again. <laughs> there's Check out some of those resources that, that we've mentioned. Um, uh, Neil Shenvey's uh, website, I believe, is shenveyapologetics.com. Yeah. Uh, S-H-E-N-V-I apologetics.com. And he has some, some great resources there. Um, I know I just searched him up on Spotify and, and looked for different podcast episodes. And he's, yeah. he talked with uh, Elisa Childers and um, other, several other podcasts and just great conversations available there. Um, yeah. Also a great model how to do it with humility 
and respect and gentleness. Mm-hmm. And he did, he's very measured, but he also doesn't compromise the truth, which I think if you're trying to figure out, like, how do you do that? He's a good example of somebody who does that well. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. So just kind of as we, as we sort of close the conversation, we've, we've talked about, again, we've talked about a lot. Um, we've sort of looked at how to identify um, critical theory, what that might look like, how it engages and how it will engage with the, the people that you love, um, people around you. And so sort of what do you think, um, any closing thoughts, like uh, any additional um, resources or things for people to consider as they engage these conversations in their own homes with their kids. Uh, we talked a little bit before the episode started about like, is there a Venn diagram? Are there points that we sort of maybe, there's like agreement and we, we can, like you said earlier, are there ideas that we can redeem? Um, how, why, why should this even matter? Like you said earlier, Chris, it's like, you might just hear this and be like, it doesn't concern me. I'm gonna, I'll just do my, you know, I'll do me and kind of, you know, no, none the wiser. Um, so any sort of closing thoughts on, on any front? Yeah, so I, I've, I've been taught this framework of do you receive something, do you reject something, or it doesn't need to be redeemed, right? Anytime that there's a teaching is sort of that framework of, of going, well, I would say you reject critical theory, right? Uh, as a worldview, we should reject it. There are some things that critical theory speaks to, uh, which I believe if you're speaking to somebody that you can find common ground on. Um, so I would say you're, you're, while you're rejecting critical theory, you can redeem some of the topics that you would speak to. Like we should be people who agree that where there is oppression, we should we should see that it ends, right? We should when there's injustice, we should be known as the people who are remedying that and putting an end to it. Um, we should uh, we should uh, see dis uh, see, see racism completely removed from our culture and our church we should not be a place where that is a that that is an influence at all and where it is we should reject it so we can find common ground in those areas but i think the gospel speaks to it in, in much better terms than critical theories uh, resolution so critical theory would have one group rising up against another speaking truth to power against another where the gospel would say well in, in christ there's no slave there's no jew there's no greek right there's not male or female Right? It, it, it doesn't put us into separate groups. It says, no, no, no. In him, you find your dwelling, right? In him, you are held together in Christ. That's where you know, we live and breathe and move because Christ holds it together. And so we want to see our identity wholly in Christ and have that biblical worldview, but equip ourselves to be able to engage this worldview. So I would say like, if you don't have a biblical worldview, I would encourage you to start there and develop a good one. As you're continuing to work on your biblical worldview, you need to understand this teaching as well because it's not going away, right? It's not going to be resolved at the next school board meeting or this thing you see on the news about identity politics. Or like This is a movement that has been going on for, we're closing in on, you know, 80, 100 years, right? So like you have a school of thought here and it's also regurgitated ideas from generations before, but like you have a school of thought here that has influenced higher education. It is, it's it's taking hold in the culture. And so the idea that you can avoid it, um, I would say it'll devour somebody you love and it's probably somebody that you're called to protect. So I would gear up to do that. 
Yeah, I was thinking same thing about it. it it's, it's not going away, hmm. and so like, I would say start with the foundation. Right? That you want to have a solid biblical foundation. So, you know, some people are like, oh, I got to have a response to critical theory or racism or all of the different things. It's like, don't start there. Start with God's word and make sure that you you've got that and you understand that, and then you can start looking at these other things through the lens of God's word instead of always just going after the critical theory stuff and trying to respond to it and going to the school board meeting and railing against it or whatever, but not really having a foundation for why you believe what you believe. And so really, I would say start there. Um, Start with God's word and then begin to, as you're going along, like begin to see it in life that you're experiencing with your family, especially being like, oh, now I see like why we believe what we believe at our church and you know that we're seeking to to hold on to and protect um and i need to do that same thing in my home because of what god's word says not because you know fox news says so or because you know i've listened to a podcast person Mm. or whatever it's because i've made the decision i'm rooting my life and my family as for me and my household we'll serve the lord that's where it's got to begin with that decision and then I'm going to start rooting myself in God's word. Yeah. So when we did this class, right, and we closed up the class, I surveyed the group and said, who's, who's glad they came tonight? Who feels like they learned something, right? Most of the hands in the room went up. Like, you're, are you glad we talked about this? Oh, yeah, every hand's up because they're glad we talked about it. So, okay, great. Keep your hand up if you feel that you're now equipped to talk to the person you love who you think is caught up in this, in this worldview. Right, your niece, your nephew, son, daughter, you know, your aunt, somebody you love. Every every hand in the room shot down. Mm-hmm. Like, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. And right. that's the burden that I feel. Mm. And I think that's the equipping that we've that we've got to do. And if you're in that place, start. Like, when was the best time to get equipped? Well, long time ago, right? When's the best time to plant a tree? Thirty years ago. When's the next best time today? Right. Mm. Start now. Start mm. now. Getting ready. Right. Because there's a battle raging, the victory is won, right? <laughs> we know we know how the war ends, hmm. uh, but we've got to equip ourselves for the battle that we're in today. Yeah, great guys, thanks very much for all the all the insight. Um, great episode. If you haven't listened to the previous episode um, and you want to learn a little bit more about what does it look like to get a biblical framework first, hmm. that's the most important thing. Go back listen to that episode. Um, and then maybe come back and re-listen. Uh, sometimes it's helpful. If you if you don't have that, you need to start there. Um, mm-hmm. But thanks very much for, for tuning in, for listening. Um, share this with, with friends or family members, and then invite them back into the conversation after. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks again, both of you guys, for, for speaking. and for yeah. Thank you. It's been good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we'll see you guys uh, in the next episode.